0: I'm super, uh, I'm super happy that you're here today because uh, one of my very favorite pastors, and I, I haven't told, us, told this to his face, but Sal, Pastor Sal pastors uh, Praise Center Church in Wenatchee. It's a 4 score church, and he's also our area pastor, our 4 score area pastor. So he oversees about a dozen, maybe a dozen churches uh, in our area, and we meet together monthly. We have a great relationship, but Pastor Sal is the real deal. Uh, he loves people with all of his heart. He is truly a shepherd. He's an incredible communicator, and he's uh, an even more incredible friend. And so uh, I am honored to be able to call you friend, Sal, and I want to invite you to come up. Would you please welcome Pastor Sal as he brings the word today? Thank you, Blake. Oh, I'm so glad to be here today. I just uh, really am honored, and I'm thankful for your pastors, Blake and Christina, uh, when when as i get you can obviously tell i'm a bit older than he is and uh... and you know there's a while back i was beginning to wonder what the status of the church in general in america was going to be because i didn't see as many young people coming up that really had the passion and the fire but man i'm telling you when i meet people like your pastor and his his uh... wife christina pastor with him, i am so excited to think about the future that the church has altogether aren't you you guys Oh man it's a blessing and I've had the opportunity to golf a couple times with Blake, and that helps us to have more relationship. And uh, And you can really tell the character of a person uh, by their golf game. Uh, tr- you truly can. And I'm here to tell you he's got great character. And uh, I'll tell you, when I was young, I was a terrible, terrible golfer. And now after years of dedication, practice, and coaching, I am now old. So, So that's how that works for me. <laughs> and you can testify to that, right? Hey, I want you to open your Bibles today to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 17, if you would. And, uh, you know, I asked uh, Pastor how long would he want me to share, and and I'm a little bit concerned that I might go a couple minutes over. So who here would give me two extra minutes to preach today, if you would? Okay, two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve. We, sh- we should be good to go. All right. I was radically saved at the age of 15. If you had known me before 15... And met me afterwards, you would have wondered if I was even the same person. I mean, when I, when you looked at me, you would have seen someone that looked the same. I had long hair down to my shoulders. Uh, yeah. Did you hear that I had hair? That's exciting. <laughs> and by the way, I apologize for all these bright lights that are gleaming off of uh, my current stat, status because, uh, you know, they're so bright. And uh, anyway, if you have to put on sunglasses, that's fine. But So I didn't look any different after I received Christ, but I was so different on the inside. Weren't you radically saved? Come on. Isn't it good to know Jesus today? It's so good. When I was in high school, uh, after I had gotten saved, I felt this call to ministry, and so I went on to Bible college. I ended up not finishing. I left Bible college, went back to my hometown, married my wife Rhonda. We've been together ever since then, 42 years of wedded bliss, I'm telling you. Well, okay. There's been a few, there's been a few spots, but uh, it was mostly bliss, let's just say that. But it, uh, I ended up going back to Bible college. It only took me 10 years to graduate. Not bad, right? And uh, upon graduation in 1986, we moved uh, to Ellensburg, started our family, and I was the associate pastor in Ellensburg for 14 years. And had many interactions with this church and other churches in our area way back in the day. We used to do men's retreats together in those days as well. And so I kind of kept that going as I've had this opportunity to be an area pastor. Now I'm inviting other pastors and other churches to join us. So I hope you guys will come. We're going to have a great time there. And I don't know if you know or not, but Pastor Blake is the one who's uh, speaking at this camp. So it's going to be extra great. So, uh, But but, uh, we moved to the Wenatchee Valley in the year 2000 and started a brand new church called Praise Center. And uh, we have been there to the, to this day. Uh, I've been in ministry all of my adult life. Uh, I haven't always been paid for it, mind you. But I've been in ministry, and I've done what I could. Um, we have three sons. Our oldest is living in Ellensburg. Now he moved back to Ellensburg with his wife. They have four kids. We have a middle son who just uh, two years ago planted a brand new church in Tampa, Florida. So if you're ever visiting Tampa, look it up. It's a great church. And uh, my youngest son ended up moving with him, and so we have family all the way across the nation serving Jesus. It's a bummer, but, you know, we get to spend heaven together forever, so that's, that's great. And they all love the Lord, and that's kind of one of my things. It's like I thought, Jesus, I, I will serve you, but please don't let me lose my kids. I don't want to lose my kids, right? Because you hear about pastor's kids sometimes, you know, and, so, and it makes you wonder. And so I was so grateful. I was so grateful that every one of my kids not only loved the Lord, but they loved the church. Amen. And that's important to me. Um, so we have also eight grandkids. The first six of those grandkids were were boys. So think of my poor wife. She's had three boys herself. Now she has six grandsons. She was going crazy, but thankfully our last two grandchildren are daughters, and uh, so she has two granddaughters now, and she's super excited about that. All right. I just wanted you to get a little background. So in our text today from Matthew 17, we'll be in verse 14 in just a moment, uh, we come to a time When Jesus had already sent out his disciples to heal the sick, raise the dead, uh, cast out demons, he had already sent them out, and now they've come back, but they've hit a bit of a roadblock. So let's pick up the text in verse 14, Matthew 17. Here we go. When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. And Jesus replies in verse 17, and uh, this is an interesting reply on the part of Jesus. You unbelieving and perverse generation. What a slap in the face, right? Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Rarely do we see Jesus getting angry or upset, but this is one of those times he is clearly bothered. He is clearly bothered. He desperately wants his disciples to trust him, to have faith in him so that they can do the works that he's doing. It's a big deal to him and he's bothered by it. Have you noticed Jesus getting a little upset even with, think about Peter, for instance. Just think about Peter. He's the only person we know of besides Jesus Christ who ever walked on water. And he did it twice, if you think about it. Once to go to Jesus and coming back with Jesus, he came back to the boat. So Peter is this amazing guy, but, but when he gets done walking on water, even, even though he did sink, Jesus gets upset with him, and he says, how come you have such little faith? And I'm thinking, Lord, that's harsh. I don't know that I would have been the guy to get. How about you? Would you bet? No, you've read the story before. Sure, you'd get out of the boat now. But seriously, back then, you'd never seen anybody else walk on water. So, so this is interesting to me that Jesus is upset about something here. He desperately, desperately wants his disciples to get this thing about faith. Then in verse 18, Jesus rebuked the demon. It came out of the boy, and he was healed at that moment. Then the disciples came to him privately and asked him, Why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, because you have so little faith. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. My title today is Move Your Mountain. Move Your Mountain. I'm going to let you in on a little secret here, and this comes from study, and I promise you that this is the truth. But if you read and I'm not a Greek scholar, but I can study because I went to Bible school and I can study the scripture and you can go look at Greek text. But I'm going to tell you that in this text that we just read about the mustard seed, the word small is not in the Greek language. It's not there at all it's it, it's i understand why translators put it in there when you're translating from one language to another sometimes you you have to add words to make sense out of sentences and it seemed implied to the translators, so they throw in the word small but you can look it up for yourself in any of the gospels where it's mentioned the word small is just not in the words of jesus what he's saying is if you have faith as a mustard seed there's a big difference what, what's going on? The point is not small faith, but faith that is constantly growing and thriving as a seed that's planted in the ground will grow and produce fruit and is productive, right? That's a big difference between just saying, oh, I have small faith. See, small faith isn't cutting it with Jesus. That's why even when Peter walks on water and he falls under the water, Jesus is not happy with him. I would expect him to be, but he's not. Are you tracking with me so far? Okay, so this is important. And so the idea of this faith is not small faith. It is faith that even though it starts out tiny like a seed, will grow and produce and be fruitful over time. And I'm going to tell you today, if we're going to move mountains, we're going to need to also grow in our faith. Maybe small faith is okay when you first become a believer because there's a lower expectation. But can I tell you over time, the Lord has expectation that our faith is growing. And this is a big deal, I promise you. And I want to ask you today, what is your mountain? What is it that you're facing in your life? And the reason I ask that question, is because I know that at just time of being a pastor over the years, everybody's got a mountain in their lives. And by the way, if you don't have a mountain, I could share some of mine with you. <laughs> I for sure can, because I've got a few in my life that I know need to be moved. But what is the thing you need God to do for you and do in your life? What is it that you're asking God to do? So for a few moments today, I want to talk to you about this faith and how to move your mountain. Let's pray. God, thank you for this great, great congregation, for Pastor Blake and Christina. God, we bless them in the name of the Lord and the the work that you're doing through Desert Church here. God, what a privilege it is to be with the family of God, to worship together and to sing and, and shout aloud with triumph unto you. And God, I just pray in these next few moments, the seed of your word will find fertile soil throughout this church. And anyone that's listening online, God, that they would be receiving it and it would produce a, tr- a ton of fruit, Lord God, because seed is meant to grow. And we believe you for this and we trust you for it right now. If you agree, would you say amen? amen. All right, amen. So uh, have you ever been driving on a, a two-lane road, two, two-way highway? And invariably, I'm sure this has happened to everybody, but you're driving and there's, it's one of those curvy roads. And sure enough, the guy in front of you, though the speed limit, say, is 60, happens to think that 53 is a great speed. You ever run into that before? All right. I'm not the only one, thank God. And, uh, and then when it does turn into a straight stretch, what do they always do? They speed up, right? Like, give me a break, dude. I want to pass you. Get out of my way. And, or, or you're going along, the, even if on a big freeway you're going along and you come to an uphill grade and there's a truck that slows down to 50 miles an hour. And the one that's behind him is going 51 miles an hour and he thinks he wants to pass him, right? Oh, you've never faced that before? Well, I have, yeah. I can't stand that. It makes me crazy. I wish I had some kind of a device that I could like disable their vehicle for a minute so they had to pull to the side of the road so I can get on past them. It bugs me when people are in my way like that. One time I was walking through Costco, and uh, I love to walk through – sometimes in the wintertime just to walk. I'll just walk through Costco because I just like to do that. I'm weird, but that's just the way it is. But one time I'm walking through Costco – and I, I turned this corner, I was over by the grocery part of it, and I'm turning this corner and there was a family of six, I kid you not, that were walking straight across, and the aisles are wide in Costco if you've ever been there, they're super wide, but this family was taking up the whole aisle. So I'm behind them with my car pushing along, and what I needed was at the other end of the aisle. So I patiently waited and followed them, and they were walking so slow. I mean, they were window shopping at Costco, I don't get it, but that's what they were doing. So they are looking at everything and they're just walking slowly, six across, kid you not. Get to the end, I find the thing I want, I go to a different direction, I come around, I hit the next aisle that I need to go down, there they were again. Same deal, I had to get the thing at the end of the aisle. This happened to me three times in a row. Don't tell me God doesn't try to teach us lessons while we're at Costco, or on the road. Right? If he does, it's just like, oh, just move, get out of my way. It would be so nice if there was an easy way to remove obstacles in life. And, and and seriously, even though I am kind of talking about some silly things, there are real obstacles, aren't there, in our lives? There are things that we need to deal with, that we just need to move. Isaiah talks about this in a different way. He says, every valley will be raised up. Every mountain and hill will be made low. The rough ground will become level, and the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed. God's into moving mountains. And here's the thing. He does it through us. He does it through us. So the first thing I want you to to think about today, and really let this get into your heart, is it's your faith that moves mountains. Your faith moves mountains. That's why I titled this Move Your Mountain, because it's your faith that moves the mountain. I I, want to emphasize the fact that that we are the ones that move mountains. If you have faith, Jesus said, you can say to this mountain, be moved. Who's saying it to the mountain? Hello? Who's, Who's saying to the mountain, be moved? We are, right? And the condition is that we have faith to do it. Jesus also said, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing. We will do the works that Jesus did. Now, before you throw things at me, okay, right? I understand something here. Understand this. Mountain moving is a partnership between us and God. Only he has the power to do it, but he won't do it unless you and I are involved by activating our faith. He just won't. So I, I hope this sounds right to you because it is right. I'm telling you, this is the word of God today. But let me explain it this way as an illustration. Back in the uh, late 90s, I was the associate pastor in Ellensburg, as I mentioned earlier. And we rented a backhoe. We had some property behind the church and some wild trees had grown up. They were about 20, 18, 20 feet high. And they, they were probably, oh, I don't know, 8, 10 inches around at the, at the trunk. And uh, they, were, they were solid trees out there, but they were, they were just not needed, and they needed to be taken down so we could create some different uses for the property. And there were several of them out there. So we rented a backhoe, and I went out there, and, uh, you know, I had seen backhoes in operation before, but I would never sat in the seat, okay? Now, I'm just, you know, this may sound sexist. Sorry, ladies, but I just think boys, they just look at backhoes, and they go, oh, Right? I don't know, you know. I'm sure there's some girls out there that want to operate a backhoe, but most boys want to operate a backhoe, and I had always wanted to operate one. So I get in the seat, and it's exciting, and I start, I start, uh, you know, driving the thing, and I, it was, it was weird, and I figured out how to turn the seat around and get the backhoe and put the legs down, and I did all this stuff, and and as I'm moving things, things are just jerking. I'm sure there's some very qualified backhoe operators in here, but I, and you'll understand what I'm saying. But the the hoe was just bouncing and. Dancing around and I'm just being thrown around in that cab of that thing. And I just I didn't know what to do, and I just slowed down a little bit and I just relaxed. And then I gave it a very gentle little touch. And all of a sudden things just started moving. And pretty soon I got to where that hoe, in a way, became like an extension of my hand. It's almost like I could just almost image it picking. I could move two directions at once and do different things. I kept working it and working until I figured it out. And it was so fun. And I would, I would drive up to this tree, this 20-foot-tall uh, junk tree that was out in that, in that field, and I would r- put the hoe past the tree over to the side, move it over a little bit, dig down, pull down, and pull back at the same time, and pop. That whole tree would just pop out of the ground. It was so amazing. It was so much fun. And I enjoyed that so much. And, and so, uh, you know, the, the thing is, is... Um, the work that I exerted in that process was negligible. I just got my hand on a little control over here. There's not much going on from me. But the work that the hoe was putting out was, was amazing, and it produced so much work. You could have put me out in that, in that field and told me, take down that tree without any help, and I would have you know, grabbed that tree around the trunk. And, ah, you know. I could have stood out there years, and, and the tree would just keep growing, and if it could laugh, it would laugh at me. I could have pulled for days, and it wouldn't have budged. But, but the, tr- the, the thing is, when I drove up with that mighty backhoe, the previously mocking tree would be shaking to its roots, literally. Now, this describes how miracles happen in our lives. In, in this case, the backhoe is God, and only he has the power to do what needs to be done. But we must understand that in his wisdom and in his divine sovereignty, he entrusted the operation of miracles to us. This is important. I'm going to go a step further with this. I would contend, and you can look this up. I've been, I've been asking people a long time to think about this. But since the creation of the world and the sixth day when God rested from his work, I would contend that nothing has happened on planet Earth by way of a miracle or work or sign except that a man was involved. I don't mean a man, a man like male. I mean mankind, human beings. Even Jesus had to become a man to carry out salvation on the cross. The work of salvation had to be done. It's like God, God wanted to offer salvation, but he had to do it through a, a, a human being, didn't he? Through a man. Not one miracle has been done on this planet except that this partnership took place between us and God. And Jesus' words confirm this. He noticed the words, you, in these uh, two verses here from Matthew 21. Jesus replied, truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, only, uh, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but you can say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you have asked for in prayer. So what's the key to mountain moving? It's faith. Whose faith? Yours and mine. Okay. Faith is essential to moving mountains i'm i 'm not saying uh, you know you might think, Oh is he like saying God is unimportant no this of course he 's the only one that can move the mountain ultimately, but he will not do it with our without our participation and without our faith. He expects us to move those mountains. Are you familiar with two step authentication? You find this a lot in Online purchases and different things you're doing these days. It seems like the, the standard uh, security protocol in the past was you had a username and a password but but they found that thieves were finding these online and getting them so often what they do now is they want uh, you to provide a secondary thing which is this uh, number six digit usual number that they can send to your phone because they assume that man they may have your username and your password but they're not gonna have your your phone that you have in your pocket at the same time All right, so we've all kind of gone through this two-factor authentication it's that extra security I want to suggest that mountain moving is a multi-factor or at least two-factor authentication kind of a thing faith is absolutely required you got to have that you know you're not getting anywhere without faith but I'm gonna talk to you real quick today about three other things that might be needed to help us move those mountains are you excited for this or would you rather just go to lunch just tell me okay because this is good stuff and I'm telling you that, that this encourages me every time I think about it because, again, I have stuff in my life right now that I'm saying, I need you, Lord. I need this mountain moved in my life so desperately. And, Lord, increase my faith, increase my faith, right? So here's, let me give you a, a couple things here then because the first thing you're going to need besides faith is obedience. Mountain moving takes obedience. Luke also mentions what Jesus said about moving mountains, but doesn't talk about the mountains or fig trees. He mentions a different tree altogether, a mulberry tree. I don't think there's really that much significance in the type of tree, but Luke brings out a different context with this story, and I need to read this one to you from Luke 17, 6-9. He replied, if you have faith as small, again, that word is not in the original Greek, so if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Would he say to the servant when he can come, come along now and sit down to eat? Would he not rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready on me while I eat and drink? After that, you may eat and drink. Would he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? Now, with our modern sensibilities, we might be a little miffed hearing this story, right? We feel that the person who has the servant, is being a bit of a jerk, don't we? Come on. But we have to see this and we have to hear this through the ears of those who heard it when Jesus spoke it to them. To them, the story makes perfect sense. They would never expect the landowner to invite the servant to sit and eat. They never would do that. So we have to remove our cultural bias that we have now and look for the point that Jesus is making here. Jesus tells this brief parable on the heels of encouraging them to have faith, to uh, to have faith, and to point out that he he is the one that can uproot trees, is the one who can does what he is told. In verse nine, did you see that? The one who can do that is the one who does what he's told. The key ingredient then is understanding. First, we submit to uh, the authority of Christ. And then understanding the authority that is given to us because we're not only under authority, but we now have authority through Jesus. And we have it granted to us uh, by the Savior. So notice the line of obedience here. We are God's servants. We are obedient to God. And as his servants, we exercise our faith for a mountain or a tree or an obstacle that needs to be removed. And so this is how it works. We're obedient to God. The mountain must be obedient to us. We serve God. The mountain must serve us. We do what God says. The mountain must do what, God, what we say. It has to do it. What makes us think that we could be a follower of Christ without obedience? Come on. In fact, in Hebrews 5.9, it says, He, the speaking of Jesus, became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey Him. Obedience is part of this package. See, once we're saved by grace, we enter the family of God. I'm not talking about what gives you salvation, what, what, what it takes to be saved. This fam, uh, the, the family of God has a father, and we obey the father as his children. If we mess up, he's still loving, but he still has an expectation of obedience. I don't know one father that, that, that okay, if your children mess up and you're a good father, you go, well, man, you know, I love you so much, I, I, but, but I still want you to do what I asked you to do, right? this makes sense. It's normal. And so we have this two-factor, as I say, authentication to move our mountain. It is the first thing, again, is faith. We must believe. but the, the, and So again, that's like the username and password. But the second is this, it's to obey. We must obey. and And honestly, if we don't obey, we can't expect to move mountains. We have to be obedient children. So start with faith, add obedience. If the mountain won't move, I've got another idea for you. Let's try this. Mountain moving must be based in love. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul is no doubt referencing uh, the words of Jesus when he says this. In 1 Corinthians 13 too, If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mystery, all knowledge, and if I have a a faith that can move mountains, where would he get that? He got it from Jesus. He said, If I have that, but I do not have love, I am nothing. The lack of love paired with the doing of a miracle negates the reason for that miracle. You know, there's something bigger than just getting the miracles done, isn't there? There's a bigger issue at play here. The purpose behind miracles is greater than the miracle itself. Uh, Let me explain that by discussing two words here that we hear in the Bible a lot, works and signs, okay? Okay. The word for miracle in the Greek is translated other places, works. Those words are interchangeable. Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works, or miracles, if you will, and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now, not all works are miracles, but some of our works are miracles. Okay, And I believe Jesus is saying part of our good works is to do miracles in his name. Notice the contrast of letting our light Uh, or the context, excuse me, of letting our light shine before men. He's saying, you got to light a way for people through what you're doing. That has to be the primary motivation behind what you're doing is lighting a way. We're the light because light dispels darkness. We're the light because light is attractive. We're the light because light is life-giving. And we're a light because without light, the people will not find their way back to God. So this same word is also translated signs, Okay. And in many places, Jesus did signs and wonders. So what's a sign? It's something that points us to something else, isn't it? Have you ever been driving along and I've done this, I feel so silly, but I get so so on track with my GPS, I'm following that, that I absolutely miss a giant sign that's telling me where to go? Have you ever done that before? You're just like, how did I miss that giant sign right there? You know, Sometimes you just got to look up from your GPS, right? So, so, so signs are telling us where to go. Matthew 5, uh, 16, 17, Jesus said these signs will accompany those who believe. So when we do signs or when we do miracles, we're helping people be pointed to Jesus. We're illuminating things for them. And we do these things not in our own name, but in his name. So our works, the light that we shine, our signs, uh, we, all of those things are pointing toward God. And love is without a doubt the greatest form of evangelism we can do. At least it's the first starting place. If we don't have love, we don't have anything. God's love is for people, and his desire for them is to be saved. and, and his des- It's the primary motivation uh, behind the works and the miracles and the signs and wonders. Our faith may be strong enough to move a mountain, but without love, it doesn't help anyone get to Jesus and be saved. And so, so we need to do that. We need to have love behind it. Do you agree with this? Does this make sense? So start with faith, add obedience, make sure your motivation is love, and finally, if the mountains won't move, know this, mountain moving requires forgiveness, forgiveness. Mark tells the same story as Matthew about the fig tree and the mountain moving, but he adds some additional information and some words at the end. Let's look at it from his gospel. Mark eleven twenty through 25. In the morning as they went along, they saw a fig tree withered from its roots. Re- Peter remembered and said to the, uh, Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Jesus says, have faith in God. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself in the sea, all this sounds familiar, right? And does not doubt in their heart what he believes, what they say will happen. It will be done for them. And then Jesus finishes up and says, therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you've received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. Jesus is tying this together for us. And he's saying that, that, see, because unforgiveness is insidious, isn't it? It, 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 sometimes we make a show of, uh, of saying we forgive, but we catch ourselves doing something and we realize, no, nah, I haven't for- completely forgiven that person. Years ago, I was walking through another store in our town and, and I, I saw at a distance someone who had left our church in kind of a way, honestly, that it really hurt me. And I'm not sure that that was their motivation, but it just, it wasn't a good situation at all. And I I feel better about it now, years later, but honestly, at the time, it was just so painful to me. And as soon as I saw them, I thought, well, man, I'm not going over there. Oh, you're looking at me like you've never done something like this before. (laughs) So I I thought, well, even though I needed to go over there, I'm going to go over here and I'll work my way around. So I did. I went over this way, and I took only a, a few steps, and I look up, and there 's another guy that left our church. this one under better circumstances, but it was still and i and I started to think like, "What do I do now? go home I mean and isn 't the Holy Spirit so great in those moments? Just kind of bonked me on the head, sal you 've got a problem, you know, and uh, I thought I had forgiven, I thought I had let these things go, I thought I had given it up to God. But my actions spoke about what was still going on in my heart. And I needed to make it right. I needed to really let go of those things. I had to work. I had work to do, honestly, and I'm still working on these things. We're all in process, right? But to be honest, sometimes the unforgiveness that we hold is exactly that mountain that needs to be removed, isn't it? Sometimes you might be thinking, man, when you said mountain, that's the thing I thought of. I have this unforgiveness in my heart towards someone I just can't let go of. That's a whole other message. But but if you and I want to be mountain movers, we must be walking in forgiveness. If mountains aren't moving, we may need to check and see if we're holding unforgiveness in our hearts in some way. And the basis with unforgiveness always is this. It's, it's understanding the fact that we have all been forgiven of a greater debt than what we have to forgive others for. And that we have salvation because God has chosen to forget all of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Aren't you glad for that today? Jesus Christ died for us on the cross. And if we repent of our sins and believe that God has raised Jesus from the dead, we confess him as Lord and we are forgiven and we are saved. And it's our turn to forgive others then. Micah 7, 18-19 8 through, 18 through 19, Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our sins or iniquities into the depths of the sea. Isn't that a marvelous promise? Aren't you glad for that today? Thank God. Yes. Thank God today. Pastor Blake, would you come back for us today and play a little something there? Um. So again, I ask this question, what obstacles do you have in your life? What is your mountain that you've been dealing with? I want to finish with just kind of a, not a weird, but just an interesting thought that the Lord kind of laid on my heart as I was studying for this. I find it interesting when Jesus says stuff about moving mountains of any kind, the Lord is always talking about throwing them into the sea. Have you wondered about that? Have you thought about that at all? I was thinking about that one time, and uh, I felt like the Lord just kind of gave me a picture in my head. So I want to show you something on the, on the background here. There's a slide I want to show you now. This is just a graphic that gives you an idea. But that middle peak there is Mount Everest. It's 29,029 feet high. Uh, I've done some mountain climbing, but I've never been that high. I've not even been as high as the Matterhorn. I've been to 14,005 feet. That's as high as I've gone. And it's crazy, and it's beautiful up there. And mountains are tall. But next to it, if you'll look, there's something called the Mariana Trench, which is the lowest spot we've been able to determine on planet Earth, which is a total of 36,070 feet. And if you take Mount Everest and throw it into the Mariana Trench, here's what you get. Oh, praise God. Look at that. It all fits in there just fine. In fact, there's 7,000 feet of water over the top of that mountain. So as you can plainly see, there's more than enough room in the sea for the biggest mountain in your life to be completely done and gone away with. And what is true in this physical and geological realm is an idea of the vastness of our potential in mountain moving. I like that. I just love the idea. The sea is deep, and when we're done, nothing is left of that mountain. Not the mountain of our own sins. Not the mountain of sin that's been done against us. Not the mountain of financial lack. Not the mountain of physical pain or illness. Not the mountain of troubled relationships. Not the mountain of your past. as you did or things done to you. No mountain is bigger than God's ability to deal with it fully and completely. Praise God. Let's stand together. So I want to challenge you today. Today. Hear me clearly we are the ones let me say it to you you are the ones to move mountains move your mountain today it is god's power but he will not do it he will not move the mountain unless we exercise faith and faith as i said earlier may not be enough to get the job done in and of itself if we're living in disobedience if we lack the motivation of love or if we're unwilling to forgive we've got to have those things going as well so move your mountain today And as we stand together, I want us to do some mountain moving. I really want us to do that. I want to finish with this. I want us to cry out to the Lord. When Pastor Blake started the worship service, he said something about lifting our hands and shouting to the Lord uh, today. And I was excited about that because that's really what I'm leading us to at this moment. A couple of weeks ago in our church, I was speaking about blind Bartimaeus, how he sat on the side of the road and, and he cried out for mercy. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And people around him said, basically they said, shut up. Be quiet. You're disturbing people. And then it says this about Bartimaeus. It says, he cried out all the louder. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. How loud do we have to get? Listen, it's not that God's deaf, The loudness is for our benefit. We need to reach down deep into our souls and decide, Look, I need a miracle, Lord. I need this mountain moved. And there's something about grabbing down deep. And listen, I, I understand. Believe me, some of you are sitting there. I'm an introvert. I don't do that in public. Believe me, I don't even know why I'm standing up here today. God, why'd you call me in the ministry? I'm an introvert too. I don't like standing in front of people. It's like if you had a choice in my life, anything to do, it would not be this. But I'm compelled by the call of God on my life. And it makes me speak out when I want to be quiet. Do you understand what I'm saying? And I know there's a lot of introverts. There's more of us than there are of them. Believe me, I get that. But here's the thing. When we cried out a couple of weeks ago for mercy from God, when, oh, I don't know what happened in our church, but it was so cool. There was a, there was a temperature that began to rise. There was a boiling point that we reached. You know, that's the thing about water. You get it up to 211, you might hear a little noise. It might, but as soon as you cross that one degree, you get just a little bit hotter, just a little bit louder. The whistle starts going, woo, right? Because it reached a boiling point. Folks, sometimes we just got to reach a boiling point. We got to get to that place where we're just, we're crying out to God. And I'm telling you that a couple of weeks ago, we did this in church. And God did miracles in our church like I haven't seen in years. They was the guy who was struggling uh, for, for about a year with some anxiety that was debilitating beyond what I can even imagine. And I felt so bad for this guy. And we had prayed together. And we read the word together. And he was just struggling. He was just on the verge of throwing up all the time and God released him from that as he shouted out had mercy on me God another woman who had back troubles that day came and she was completely healed she came to the front just so excited God I was so full of pain and I cried out for mercy God came and he healed me what is your mountain today cry out I'm going to encourage you right now to just cry out for mercy cry out to the Lord come on let's lift our voices together don't be afraid Come on, even you introverts, join me. Come on, let's cry out to the Lord. Lord, we cry out right now for those mountains to be moved. Lift your voice. Praise him and thank him for that mountain that must go. Jesus, we need help today. We need to see the mountains of, of sin in our lives be moved away. We need to see financial lack cut away from people's lives, God, and so that, that, that they may have prosperity that you have for them, Lord God we come against mountains of sickness and illness and pain and struggling in all kinds of ways, whether that be physical, emotional, mental, Lord, we come against all illness in the mighty name of Jesus. God, we thank you. We move those mountains right now. We exercise our faith and we cry out to you. Have mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us today, Lord. Let your people experience the wholeness that they need in relationships in marriages, Lord, being built up and being strong. God, help wayward children that are gone from you. Come back to Jesus. We cry out for this. It's a huge mountain for us, but God, we're crying out and we're calling out to you. We need you, Lord. We need you, Jesus. We're calling out to you, Lord. We're calling out to you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus.